Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fuck's Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, and my sexy-voiced co-host, whose germs are currently banned from the recording studio, is Katie. Ah! Oh, you don't like my germs? No, no, I do not. You can come over, but your germs have to stay away. Well, that would make two of us, so <laughs> I don't blame you. Let's just go ahead and fly right into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the first half of Chapter 18, Dumbledore's Army, and the sort of corresponding film scenes. Umbridge better hope there's no law against male tampering in the wizarding world. Gryffindor gets permission to play Quidditch again just in time for monsoon season. Hermione is the only one who understands the concept of code names. Harry realizes that he's Voldemort's human mood ring. Dobby and Neville duke it out in a helpfulness battle royale. And Ron almost admits to half of his Oedipus complex when Hermione's Molly starts showing. During episode 150, Vicarious Risk Boners, our Potter pondering was, what are your thoughts on how the movie has Neville find the room of requirement rather than Dobby like in the book? Hey Ellen, hey Katie, Jackson here with this week's Potter pondering. What do I think of Neville discovering the room of requirement in the movies instead of Dobby? Well... I figure if you can't have Dobby in the movies, why not have it be Neville? Because I think it helps be part of his growth. You know, the same in Goblet of Fire. If it couldn't be Dobby giving Harry the gillyweed, then Neville makes sense because Neville loves plants and herbology. So, yeah, it makes sense. Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. How do I feel about the movie letting Neville find the room of requirement when Dobby is the one who found it in the books? Well, y'all know I'm not opposed to Neville getting a little more screen time, but I am tired of Dobby getting deleted out of every fucking movie. And it's pissing me off. It really does. Because for people who only watch the movie, they don't have any type of close connection with Dobby. And then when, spoiler alert, he dies in Seven, they're like, oh, well, that little thing died. Oh, okay, well, no one cares. You know why? Because Dobby was deleted out of all the movies. In the book, Dobby was there all the time, looking cute, doing shit, and being there for his homies. Yeah. He was worth something. But no, movie watchers remember, oh, that's that little thing from Chamber of Secrets. I remember him. Oh, he's dead. Well, damn. Anyways, because they don't have a relationship with Dobby. They don't know nothing about Dobby. Because the movie makers can't afford to CGI a magical being for more than one or two movies. Yeah, I said it. And that pisses me off. And it's a shame. Because... I was crying my eyes out when Dobby died. Oh my gosh, I was so depressed. But hey, you know, you just watch the movie, it's like, oh, there's that thing again. Oh, okay. It's a shame. It's such a shame. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Katie. It's me. It's Quincy. So let's get right to it. I hated that they took out Dobby. 
I feel like this Dobby erasure is just going way too far. Like, okay, we love Neville, we do, but why are we giving him all of Dobby's lines? I get it, CGI is expensive and blah, 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 yada, 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 but they spend way too much money on things that don't matter in the movies just so that they can capture the audience, but they don't understand that the audience wants, the audience needs Dobby. That's all I got to say about that. Anyway, love you. Bye. Hi, this is Jessica calling in my Potter pondering for this week about Neville finding the room of requirements in the movie instead of Dobby. I don't hate this. It's not a huge change. And like what you guys said, they seem to like giving Dobby scenes to Neville. But why is Dobby always head out? Because they keep changing so much. They would have other Neville scenes and would need to give them all of Dobby's. I wanted to see Dobby wearing the wobbly tower of Hermione's knitted hat. Dobby is so adorable in this. I mean, he's always adorable. Dobby is always adorable. I don't know why they always cut him out. When we get to see him in two movies, that just is such a crime. I don't know why they had to change it. I mean, I love Neville. I love Neville so much. But, yeah, it's really frustrating that they cut Dobby out of all the movies. Like, um, please give him the credit that he is due because he's adorable and extremely helpful. And he's a free house elf. He doesn't have to do any of this. He does it because he loves Harry Potter. Yeah, so that's what I have to say about it. I wish they didn't cut it out. I wish they didn't change it. I mean... I can understand why, but I wish they didn't do it. Okay, bye. Hey, Ellen, hey, Katie, this is Tom. I wanted to give my opinion on Neville taking Dobby scenes from the Harry Potter movies. And, well, in the Goblet of Fire, it kind of made sense after doing all the research on making this film and finding out that Radcliffe's deep sea diving training took a lot more money than Warburg was expecting, and it gave Neville a lot of character development. Warburg thinks, though, it just seems forced. They could really have used Dobby in the scene, just giving Harry back Hedwig after Umbridge had attacked her and told them about the room of requirement. That's my opinion. Bye. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was. What book does Hermione begin reading when they first find the Room of Requirement? Though Hermione finds hundreds of books and lists off the title for several of them, it is Jinxes for the Jinxed that she pulls from the shelf before she parks herself on a cushion to begin reading as they wait for everyone else to show up. Congratulations goes to Megan Slater. Whoa! (laughs) I tried. Do a lower one for me. Wahoo! (laughs) (laughs) Wahoo! (laughs) Megan's doing pretty good with her streak. It's three weeks in a row now. Think she'll keep it going? We shall see. For now, let's dive into the second half of Chapter 18, Dumbledore's Army, and the montaged corresponding film scenes. Chapter 18, Dumbledore's Army, Part 2. The rain continues to be so bad that the Golden Trio have to splash across the flooded vegetable patch on their way to double herbology, where they can barely hear Professor Sprout over the hammering of raindrops on the greenhouse roof. Their afternoon class of Care of Magical Creatures is going to take place in an empty classroom, 
and Ron and Harry are intensely relieved when Angelina finds them to inform them that Quidditch practice is canceled. Harry quietly tells Angelina that it's okay since they found a place to have their first defense meeting and are going to meet that night at 8 o'clock, 7th floor opposite the tapestry of Barnabas the Barmy being clubbed by trolls. He also asks her to pass the information along to Katie and Alicia, and though she looks slightly taken aback, she agrees. Harry returns to his sausages and mash, and when he looks up to take a drink of pumpkin juice, he realizes that Hermione is watching him. He asks her what, and when she expresses her concern that Dobby's plans aren't always that safe, he explains that it isn't just some mad idea of Dobby's. He also heard about the room from Dumbledore, who mentioned it in passing at the Yule Ball. This makes Hermione feel much better about the idea, and they spend most of the day seeking out the people who signed their names to the list in Hogshead to let them know. Harry is disappointed that it's Ginny who finds Cho and her friend first, but is happy that by dinner everyone has the news of the first meeting time and location. At half past seven, Harry, Ron, and Hermione leave the Gryffindor common room and nervously make their way to the seventh floor. Harry has the Marauder's Map with him, and they use it to see that Filch is on the second floor, Mrs. Norris is on the fourth floor, and Umbridge is in her office. Knowing the coast is clear, they hurry along to the blank stretch of wall that Dobby described, opposite an enormous tapestry of Barnabas the Barmy's foolish attempt to train trolls for the ballet. Once there, Harry tells them that Dobby said they had to walk past the wall three times, concentrating hard on what they need. They do so, thinking that they need a place to learn to fight, a place to practice, where they can't find them. And after the third time, a highly polished door appears in the wall. As Ron stares warily at it, Harry reaches for the brass handle and pulls it open, revealing a spacious room with bookcases lining the walls, silk cushions on the floor, and a collection of dark detectors, including the cracked faux glass that hung in fake Moody's office the previous year. Ron acknowledges the cushions, saying they'll be good for when they practice stunning, but Hermione only has eyes for all the books, which seem to have finally convinced her that they're doing the right thing. She pulls Jinxes for the Jinxed off the shelf and sinks into the nearest cushion to begin reading. Little by little, everyone else starts to arrive and at 8 o'clock every cushion is filled. Harry locks the door, everyone falls silent, and Hermione marks her page and sets it aside. With everyone's attention on him, Harry nervously tells them about the place they found to practice and has to answer several questions about the room and the things in it. He starts to turn the topic to their first lesson, but Hermione raises her hand and he instead calls on her. She suggests they elect a leader and Cho immediately says that Harry's leader. Hermione agrees but wants them to do a proper vote. She asks the group at large and everyone raises their hands, even Zacharias Smith. Harry says thanks, but before he can go on, Hermione raises her hand again, this time suggesting they should have a name. Angelina asks if they can be the Anti-Umbridge League, while Fred thinks it should be the Ministry of Magic Our Morons group. Hermione informs them that she meant a name that doesn't immediately tell everyone what they're up to so they can safely talk about it outside meetings. Cho recommends the Defense Association so they can call it the DA for short, and Ginny likes this idea but thinks that DA should stand for Dumbledore's Army since that's Fudge's worst fear. Everyone laughs and Hermione calls for a vote. 
When the majority votes in favor, she writes Dumbledore's army across the top of the signed paper and pins it to the wall. Once all this is settled, Harry finally gets to start the lesson and suggests starting with Expelliarmus. He begins to say that he knows it's pretty basic, but he found it really useful, and then gets cut off by Zacharias, who rolls his eyes and claims that he doesn't think that would help them against you-know-who. Harry quietly mentions that it saved his life last June. This silences Smith and the rest of the room, and Harry says that if they think it's beneath them, they can leave. No one moves, so Harry tells them to divide into pairs and begin practicing. As odd as it feels for Harry to give directions, it's even weirder to see them followed. Once everyone is paired off and the unpartnered Neville is left to practice with Harry, he counts them off to begin. The room fills with shouts of Expelliarmus, and wands begin flying in all directions. Harry looks around and realizes that this actually is a good place to start because there's a lot of shoddy spell work happening, and in some cases, people aren't even disarming their opponents, only sending them backwards a few paces or causing them to wince. As Harry looks around, Neville gleefully manages to disarm him. Harry doesn't have the heart to remind Neville that it's extremely unlikely he will ever be facing an opponent who's looking in the opposite direction with their wand held loosely at their side. Instead, he asks him to work with Ron and Hermione and moves to the middle of the room to check on everyone else. He immediately notices that every time Zacharias attempts to disarm Anthony Goldstein, he ends up losing his own wand, but Anthony isn't even making a sound. Harry glances around and finds Fred and George taking turns pointing their wands at Smith's back. When Harry catches his eye, George hastily apologizes, and Harry moves on to correct those who are doing the spell wrong. He announces for them to stop several times before thinking he needs a whistle and spotting one on top of the nearest row of books. He blows it and tells the whole group that their efforts weren't bad, but there's definite room for improvement. He directs them to try again and continues to move among the pairs, making suggestions and watching the general performance slowly improve. He ignores Cho and her friend at first, but eventually goes to check in with them. As he approaches, Cho says the spell wrong and accidentally sets Marietta's sleeve on fire. Marietta puts it out with her wand and glares at Harry like it was his fault. Cho tells Harry that he made her nervous, and he lies and tells her that attempt was quite good. She raises her eyebrows at him, and he admits that it was lousy, but he saw before that she could do it properly. She laughs, but Marietta turns away from them. Cho mutters to Harry not to mind her. She doesn't really want to be there because her mom works for the ministry and forbade her to do anything that might upset Umbridge. Harry asks Cho about her parents, and she explains that they've told her not to get on the wrong side of Umbridge, too. She begins to proudly talk about how she's going to fight you-know-who after what happened to Cedric, but breaks off looking confused and causing an awkward silence between them. They are saved from the awkwardness by Luna, who announces that her father is very supportive of any anti-ministry action because he'd believe anything of Fudge, especially considering the number of goblins he's had assassinated. She also claims that he's using the Department of Mysteries to develop terrible poisons to secretly feed to people who disagree with him. When she mentions his umgubular slash kilter, Harry just mutters don't ask to an extremely confused looking Cho. She giggles, and Hermione calls out to him to check the time. He looks down at his watch and is surprised to realize that it's already ten past nine. 
He blows the whistle again and lets everyone know they did a pretty good job but have gone over time. He suggests they meet the same time, same place next week, but Dean eagerly says sooner and many nod in agreement. Angelina reminds them all about the Quidditch season and Harry suggests the following Wednesday, saying they can decide on additional meetings then. He hurries them along using the Marauder's map to make sure the coast is clear and directs them to leave in groups of three or four. When it is only him, Ron, and Hermione left, Hermione tells him that the lesson was really good, and Ron enthusiastically agrees. He asks if Harry saw him disarm Hermione, who reminds him that it only happened once, saying she got him loads more times. Ron argues back that it was at least three times, and Harry doesn't even care that the two bicker the entire walk back to their common room, because though he has one eye on the Marauder's map, all he can think about is how Cho said he made her nervous. The movie scene starts with the focus on a magical wooden practice dummy carved with a skull-like face and a target on its chest. The members of Dumbledore's army are lined up in front of it, each ready to take a turn with Harry instructing Neville at the start of the line. He gives him an encouraging nod and Neville attempts to cast Expelliarmus on the dummy. Instead, his own wand flies backwards out of his hand and over the line of students, who all duck out of the way. The wand hits the mirrored wall, and Neville declares himself to be hopeless as everyone stands back up. Harry explains that he is just flourishing his wand too much, demonstrates how to do it with a small wand motion, and succeeds in disarming the practice dummy. Another J-cut places Umbridge's voice in the scene to transition it to her Defense Against the Dark Arts class. She instructs them to copy the approved text four times to ensure maximum retention. When she says there will be no need to talk, Hermione mutters that it's more like there's no need to think. Umbridge pauses but doesn't say anything to her, though she does say for wands to be put away as Neville attempts to practice Expelliarmus while he takes notes. The camera cuts to a group of students making their way to the Room of Requirement as Filch and Mrs. Norris tiptoe behind them and attempt to discover where they are going. Before he can make it to the door, it vanishes, leaving him looking bewildered as we get another J-cut with Harry's voice explaining stunning spells. It shifts to him walking between his students standing in two rows facing one another. He asks for Nigel to give him his best shot and stands at the end of the row with no intention of defending himself. When the young boy flourishes his wand and yells the spell, he succeeds in knocking Harry backward, though the force of the spell also sends Nigel backward as well. The camera focuses on Ron and Hermione as the other students look on in concern, and Harry tells Nigel that his attempt wasn't bad at all. It then cuts to Filch sitting in a chair right outside the wall where the door appears, eating a sandwich and waiting before switching back to the room of requirement where Ron is assuring Hermione that he will go easy on her. She gives him a sarcastic, disbelieving, thanks, Ronald, as he walks to the opposite end of the line of students to the boys' encouragement and the girls' giggles. Neville steps in the middle of the pair, looks from one to the other, then quickly steps back in line as they get their wands at the ready. The twins place a bet on the outcome, and Ron acknowledges a fist of encouragement from Neville before Hermione beats him to the punch and sends him flying backwards with her spell. Neville lowers his fist to nonchalantly scratch his face, and one of the twins begrudgingly passes some money to the other. Ron gingerly approaches his brothers, insisting that he let her do that, since it's good manners. 
A group of girls are all surrounding Hermione, celebrating her achievement with giggles as the boys look on dejectedly. The camera then cuts back to Filch, who has fallen asleep in his chair and wakes with a start before staring around suspiciously, completely unaware that the Room of Requirement has made a new door, allowing the students to elude Filch by sneaking out around the corner. Shifting to show Filch on his ladder, hanging yet another decree on the stone wall, the camera then focuses on the caretaker as he looks back and sneers at a group of students, headed by Cho Chang, who are watching him and looking concerned. It then shows a close-up of Decree Number 82, which demands that all students will submit to questioning about suspected illicit activities before cutting to another group of students waiting outside Umbridge's office as she invites each one in at a time and offers them a cup of tea. After a quick shot of tea being poured and Umbridge closing her office door, the scene returns to Harry helping Neville with Expelliarmus, though the latter is still struggling. Harry then approaches Cho, who is levitating Nigel, and tells her a little higher as he takes her wand arm and raises it up. Distracted, she looks back at him and smiles, and Nigel falls to the floor, though he immediately stands and declares himself to be okay. The scene cuts to a shiny pink heart-shaped box sitting on Filch's usual chair as he approaches and looks pleased to find it there. He sits in the chair and opens the box, finding some candies wrapped in foil and others with Love You printed on them. He eagerly picks one up to eat it, and the camera shows Fred and George watching from around a corner, just as eagerly, before it cuts to Umbridge's office, where she looks less than amused as Filch points to his now boil-covered face as one bursts. We then get a quicker montage of Dumbledore's army continuing to practice stupefy, Filch is hammering in another decree as Slytherins watch with glee, and Umbridge's voice announces the start of the Inquisitorial Squad. More DA practicing, the Slytherins and Filch receiving badges from Umbridge, and back to Harry as he instructs and encourages his class. He tells them that every great wizard in history has started out as nothing more than we are now. Students. If they can do it, why not us? The montage continues, showing Luna skipping down the hall and entering the Room of Requirement as Filch, Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle peer around the corner and then make a mad dash for the door. It gets smaller and smaller as they approach, and the camera cuts back and forth between them and the DA, sending a practice dummy back and forth up the line with different spells. When they make it to the now-average-sized door, they burst through it and crash into a broom cupboard. With a final cut back to the Room of Requirement, Ginny uses Reducto on the dummy and completely reduces it to ash. Following some initial shock, everyone looks a blend of intimidated and impressed by her, though Harry really just looks very proud. I think this is quite possibly one of the longest movie sections we have ever had. In quite a while at the very least, yeah. Yeah. There was no way to cut it off more evenly, though, because none of this fit in with the first half. And to be honest, it barely fits in with the second half. Right. <laughs> it just like sort of does. But there are things that happen in this montaginess that really just corresponds to later sections in the book. And then there's some that fit in-ish. Yeah. But it's kind of more like, yeah, sure, let's put this here. Yeah. It works-ish. I hope you all weren't hoping for like a bunch of dings because we ain't got no dings. Nah, well, it, yeah. yeah. Pretty much. So the book chapter picks back up. It's still raining, like a lot. 
I don't know how many varies I put in front of the first one, but it's at least that many again. There were a lot. Yeah, for sure. The vegetable patch is actually completely flooded. They have to splash their way through it to get to their double herbology lesson. Mm, fun. And even that's kind of pointless because the rain is hitting the roof of the greenhouse so hard they can't even hear Professor Sprout all that well. And Professor Sprout's not quiet. At least not in the movie. She might be more no. soft-spoken in the book, but... Eh, maybe. They also have to have care of magical creatures in an empty classroom instead of outside like they normally would. Mm-hmm. So it is rainy. Yeah, that's got to tell you something right there. And then to Harry and Ron's relief... Angelina finds them to let him know that she's canceled Quidditch practice for that evening. They're like, oh, thank God. I couldn't do another day on that broom. So wet. Right. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure that Fred and George's herpes humbugs (laughs) are quite relieved to not have to be on a broom in the rain like that. I'm just relieved to not be near any herpes humbugs. So fair enough. But Harry lets Angelina know that it's actually okay that they had to cancel Quidditch practice for that night because they found a place to hold their defense meetings and they wanted to have the first one anyway. So he's like, we're all going to meet at eight. We're going to go to the seventh floor. There's a tapestry of Barnabas the Barmy being clubbed by trolls. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're all meeting. He also wants to know if she can pass that information along to Katie and Alicia since she's going to have to find them anyway to let them know about Quidditch practice. Yeah, makes sense. And I think that Angelina's just like, "Uh, no, you're supposed to be upset about Quidditch. Why are you like, this is fine? (laughs) But she still agrees to do that. Right? This isn't fine. Fuck you, this isn't fine. Harry then returns to his sausages and mash, which I'm pretty sure in the UK version is going to say bangers and mash. I'm pretty sure either way it's dirty. That's all I'm saying. It's just so funny to me because... We don't say mash here. No. But the phrase bangers and mash is not unheard of to us. So if you're going to change bangers to sausages, why would you not just change the whole phrase? And if you're not going to change the whole phrase, why even bother changing it at all? Well, my theory on this is that they were like, hey, Ellen needs something to bitch about for this part. So oh, they left me a present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were thinking <laughs> of you. So nice of them. Yeah. But anyway, he goes back to eating because he's starving and doesn't look up from his food again until it's to take a drink of pumpkin juice. And that's when he realizes that Hermione is just staring daggers at him. And naturally he goes, what? (laughs) Because what else do you say to Hermione when she's staring at you like you've done something wrong? Right. Say sorry. Right. (laughs) No, he says, what? And she tells him that she's just worried because Dobby's plans aren't always that safe. I mean, look at him trying to rescue you. You ended up with no bones in your arm. His plans, not that great. They've almost gotten you expelled. They've gotten you in trouble. They've almost gotten you killed. I mean, to be fair to Dobby, though, the bone thing, that was Lockhart. That wasn't that wasn't that really was Dobby. Totally Lockhart. No, it is Dobby's fault that he broke his arm. Well, yes, to that's begin true. With. I'm not denying that, you know, shit goes pear-shaped. I'm just saying that particular one thing, you know. Yes, the missing arms was totally the appendix of the wizarding world's fault. The broken arm, however, was yes. in fact Dobby's. <laughs> <laughs> But Harry's not actually concerned because this isn't just some mad idea of Dobby's. And he tells Hermione that he's also heard about this room from Dumbledore, who mentioned it in passing at the Yule Ball, which we talked about last week. 
the little memory yes. he had. Like, ooh, chamber pots. Mm-hmm. Room full of toilets. And knowing that Dumbledore knows about this room and has apparently used it before, quite literally, Hermione starts to feel a lot better about them attempting to find it and use it. Yeah. Though I imagine in a different way than Dumbledore. Unless they really need the potty. You know, it is possible. (laughs) But then the trio spends pretty much the majority of the day trying to find all of the people who signed their name to that list in Hogshead so they can let them know when and where to meet. And Harry's kind of bummed because it's Ginny who finds Cho first. And I just kind of imagine Ginny on a mission to find Cho first. (laughs) Because I know she's dating Michael Corner. Yeah, but... But I also feel like there's still that little part of her that's just like, no, Harry can't start dating somebody. That's me. I date people to get over him and he gets jealous and then dates me. (laughs) Yes. I mean... I go find Cho. I mean, also, she can be over Harry and also not think that Cho is right for him. True. Because she's not. As someone who straight up has some mad traumas in her life i'm pretty sure she can spot trauma in other people like a mile away and cho just lost her boyfriend last year so you don't want to be this rebound harry yeah that's what i'm saying but that's me trying to make Ginny look better i guess (laughs) (laughs) i don't disagree with you though yay but anyway so yes harry's a little bummed about that but at the same time by dinner everybody knows when and where to meet And he's actually pretty excited at this point. Mm -hmm. At half past seven, Harry, Ron, and Hermione leave the Gryffindor common room and use the Marauder's map to check where everyone is. And they can see that Filch is on the second floor, Mrs. Norris is on the fourth, and Pepto Bitchmall is in her office. So the three big problems, all completely out of the way. And knowing that, they safely, though still kind of nervously... Even though they're allowed to be out at this point, they are fifth years. They're allowed to be out of bed and out of their dorms up till nine. Mm-hmm. And it's only 730 at this point. So they aren't even remotely doing anything noticeably wrong. But they're still like, oh, God, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? We got to get there. <laughs> I mean, nothing noticeably wrong except for being themselves. Is that wrong? <laughs> Definitely in Filch's eyes. I mean, yeah. If you're Filch or Pepto Bitchmall. And Mrs. Norris, for that matter. So it's fair. I guess I understand the nervousness. Mm -hmm. But they make their way to a blank stretch of wall that Dobby described for Harry. That's across from an enormous tapestry of, like I said before, Barnabas the Barmy. Mm -hmm. What wasn't described before is why he was getting clubbed by trolls. Why was he getting clubbed by trolls? It's because he's trying to train them for the ballet. Trolls don't strike me as altogether graceful this tapestry legit has trolls in tutus beating up a wizard with their clubs because he's trying to make them do plies like why was this not worth putting in the movie (laughs) right i mean i gotta say in that case i am definitely on the troll side oh i don't think anybody would not be ballet enthusiasts But is it that pretty to watch a troll try and do ballet? Prettier than watching a troll do anything else. Is it though? I don't know. (laughs) They just want the whole world covered in tulle. I mean, I am absolutely fine with this scenario happening for the hilarity of this tapestry. (laughs) 
That right there is priorities, so. But no, I can't blame the trolls for beating the shit out of Barnabas. Yeah, facts. Anyway. Moving on. When they find it, Harry says that Dobby told him they have to walk past that wall three times and they have to concentrate hard on what they need. So they just start pacing back and forth in front of this blank wall thinking, we need a place to learn to fight, a place to practice where they can't find us. And they don't specify who they is. So I feel like it just encompasses all of the they. They can't find us. Yeah, it probably goes somewhat off of intuition. Like the room itself has an intuition. I think you're probably right. But anyway, the third time they make this trek, a highly polished door appears in the wall. As doors are wont to do. Are they though? In Hogwarts. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) There is kind of a stark difference between the way the door is described in the book and how it appears in the movie, but that's minor compared to everything else they changed yeah i mean it just wasn't highly polished no anyway ron stares at it like uh do we open it what's behind that door i'm not so sure about this and harry just reaches for the brass door handle pulls it open and when he does it reveals this huge room that is lined with bookcases filled with books There are silk cushions on the floor, exactly enough for everyone. And a very large collection of different dark detectors, many of which that Harry recognizes, like the faux glass that used to hang in fake Moody's office that's got cracked in the whole Mm -hmm. hullabaloo of the previous year. (laughs) Ron sees the cushions and he's just like, hey, these will be great for when we practice stunning because he was the one that Harry practiced stunning on Mm -hmm. in the previous year. And... Fell back and hurt his ass quite a bit with like, the number that shit of times. Hurts. Yeah. And Hermione kept telling him that he was just missing the cushion. He's like, well, you try aiming when you're stunned. Right. So he sees the cushions and immediately thinks, oh, that'll be good. Yeah, Helpful. there were no cushions in the movie. That irritated me. Not even remotely. No. The room described in the book seems completely different than what we saw in the movie. Oh, yeah. But anyway, Ron's all caught up on these cushions. And Hermione is staring at the books, which have all of a sudden become weirdly spotlit as a choir of angels begins singing. Yeah. And it's the presence of all of these books, hundreds of books, that seems to have finally convinced Hermione they are in fact doing the right thing. (laughs) Ah, the old Beauty and the Beast trick. Yeah. Give a bitch a library. She'll do anything. If you give a bitch a library, (laughs) she'll pull a book off the shelf and start reading. (laughs) And then another. And then another. And and then then another. another. (laughs) In this case, she pulls jinxes for the jinxed off and sinks into the nearest cushion and just starts reading. Which was our trivia question. Sure was. And also something I totally want. A trivia question? No, a room of requirement. That would be pretty awesome. Right? What would you want to be in yours? Ooh, snacks. Definitely. Lots of snacks. Lots of cushions. And like cozy places to sit and chillax. Lots of books. TV, movie, video games. TV, yeah. It would just need to be like the world's most perfect she shed for me. Yeah. Like an arts and crafts corner, I bet you'd have. Oh, sure. definitely. Any yeah. art supply I could possibly need. A recording studio. Maybe a red room. I mean, what? <laughs> I've never thought about this. What? Why? What? I wonder what our keepers would want. Let's ask them, shall we? Seems like a good pondering. 
Yeah. But anyway, the closer it gets to 8 o'clock, the more and more people start to arrive. And by 8 o'clock, every single cushion is filled because, like I said, the room knew exactly how many they needed. Smart room. Mm-hmm. Harry closes the door and locks it satisfyingly with a very large brass key. And I just think that click just made everybody a little bit more at ease. Right. Probably very comforting. Yeah. It also causes them to all fall silent and Hermione finally sets her book aside and they all just give Harry their attention. So Harry's super nervous now because everyone's staring at him and he has to be the teacher. And he just kind of lamely goes, so this is where we found a practice. I guess y'all found it okay. (laughs) You think? We're kind of here. So yeah. Right. (laughs) And... As an icebreaker, which I think ended up helping really well, a couple people started commenting on how cool and perfect the room is. And then I think it was Dean who started asking him about a bunch of the dark detectors. Mm -hmm. And Harry knows something about this because of Lupin and because of fake Moody. Yeah. He's just like, oh, well, these are dark detectors. They're pretty useful, although you don't want to rely on them because they can always be tricked. True. And I think answering those questions kind of puts him at ease. Yeah. It's kind of like how... A switch flipped in his head where he's like, oh, wait, I can do that. I just got to talk about the shit I know about. Wait a minute. Right? I can do that. That's that's actually what they're here for. Yeah. Holy shit. Wait a minute. (laughs) I know shit. Yeah. I can tell them shit I know. (laughs) Yeah. So he's feeling more confident and he starts to turn to the topic of the first lesson. But because Hermione is in a classroom situation with a teacher in front of her, no matter who that teacher is, she must raise her hand and she does. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Harry calls on her and she says that they should elect a leader. Cho's like, obviously Harry's leader. Duh. (laughs) And Hermione agrees, but she thinks that they should put it to an official vote. That would give Harry the authority and then they can move forward. So she's just like, who wants Harry to be leader? And everybody, even Zacharias Smith although that's kind of half-heartedly, raised their hand. Mm-hmm. So it is a unanimous agreement that Harry should be leader. And I think this actually like boosts his confidence a little bit more. And he's like, thanks. And he goes on. But before he can, Hermione raises her hand again. And I feel like on one hand, he's just got to be like, God damn it, Hermione. And on the other hand, even still a little bit appreciative. Right, yeah. Because it's delaying him actually having to be the teacher. Right. But he calls on her again, and she suggests that they should name the group. Whatever will they name it? Well, Angelina thinks that it should be the Anti-Umbridge League. I like that. The Owl. A-U-L. Yeah. Yeah. A-Owl. Fred thinks it should be the Ministry of Magic or Morons group. The Momen. Momen. <laughs> Momam. Not to be confused with Mormon. Right. And then there's Hermione who's like, I meant a name that didn't make it blatantly obvious what we were doing so we could actually refer to it outside of meeting times. I mean, I still like clothing optional fight club room. (laughs) That's still my vote. Just saying. Well, being Ravenclaw, Cho suggests the Defense Association saying that they could call it DA for short. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to know what DA stands for. So it's safer. Yeah. Ginny, being Ginny, thinks that DA is perfect, but is the one who says that it should stand for Dumbledore's Army instead of Defense Association, since that's Fudge's worst fear. Which I get. 
I don't know that I agree with the logic of actually using that as the name, though. I mean, they just call it the DA. Yeah, I know that, but... It was supposed to be an inside joke among them. No one was supposed to find out. Well, true. I just mean it's, like, funny that Hermione's saying that, well, maybe let's not name it something that's super blatant as to what we're doing. And then they call it Dumbledore's Army. But they call it the DA. It's just short for Dumbledore's Army. I know, but, I mean, they could do that with anything, with any of the other suggestions. Just call it by the first letter. Yes, but this one made everyone laugh, so they voted for it. Well, I can't fault him there. That's how I vote as well. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what Hermione does that I think is stupid is she writes Dumbledore's army across the top of the paper and pins it to the wall in the room of requirement. And I get that the room is set up so that people can't just get into it. I mean, but why test that? But considering that we know they eventually do, like she literally did exactly what she insisted she wouldn't do to Anthony Goldstein and left that list essentially lying around. Yeah. Now, I don't know where she could have hidden it on her person or in her dorm that wouldn't have just incriminated her. But you'd think she would know some kind of magic to make it appear as if it's something else to anybody that isn't on the list or something. Yeah. That's what I would have done. It was definitely a lapse in judgment on Hermione's part, for sure. But also kind of necessary for the plot. True. Anyway, now that all of this is finally settled and Hermione stops raising her hand, Harry actually gets to start the lesson, and he tells him that he wants them to start with Expelliarmus. He starts to say that he knows this is pretty basic, but he's found it to be really useful. And before he can explain exactly what he means by that, Zacharias Smith cuts him off to roll his eyes and flat out say that he doesn't think that would be very helpful against you know who. That comment's not going to age well come book seven. I mean, that comment doesn't even age well when Harry responds because he just immediately says it saved my life against him last June. Yeah, very, very true. Yeah. And if that doesn't immediately shut up Smith, nothing will. But it does. Actually, including the rest of the room, everybody just gets completely silent and looks at Harry. Right. Like, you used Expelliarmus against you-know-who? Yeah. To be fair, there were a lot of other factors that, like, saved Harry in that case. But it was, in fact, useful, and that is what he claimed. But exactly, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, they don't know that. (laughs) No, they don't. And they're hoping for more details, which Harry does not oblige. He actually just tells them that if they think that Expelliarmus is beneath them, they can leave. (laughs) Surprisingly, or not surprisingly at all, nobody moves. Yeah. They're like, nope, nope, we're here. We want to learn. You've got shit to tell us. We're hoping anything we can get. Anything. Kind of like, well, I mean, I didn't say all that, you know, just saying. (laughs) But anyway, Harry moves back to the lesson, tells them to divide into pairs and start practicing. And he's noticing how weird it is. To be the one giving the instructions, but also is realizing that it is even weirder that they're getting followed. (laughs) Like, hey, do this. Okay. It's like, holy shit, that was easy. He gets everyone paired off, realizes that Neville does not have a partner and says he can practice with him, Mm -hmm. and then counts them off to start. So immediately, the room is just filled with people shouting, Expelliarmus, and wands are flying all over the place. (laughs) So that's not how it happened in the movie. But there are a couple of super basic similarities. So let's just dive right into that. 
All right. The movie section starts out welcoming us back to another episode of How to Make a Sex Dungeon. Love that show. (laughs) Our first lesson involves a practice dummy made of wood, or as I like to call him when we're alone, sweetie. (laughs) And the brilliant idea to let Neville tackle him first, because why not? And this is quite a bit different than how the book had it organized, but whatevs. Oh, yeah. Neville looks wary as fuck, understandably. Kind of like when Lupin called on him first for the boggart. Yeah. But just like Lupin, Harry gives him a nod of encouragement and just tells him to go on, fuck that shit up. Let's do this. Neville, bless him, tries. He really does. Oh, my goodness. He really wants to. He waves his wand and shouts, Expelliarmus! But his wand is not about that life and just shoots right the fuck out of his hand. Like, just threatening to bean anyone that's in its way as it takes the express route to the mirror in the back of the room. Which is one of the extremely slight dings here. Not really, but they are in fact practicing Expelliarmus. Yeah, so I'll give it a duh. Duh. <laughs> And of course, it's Neville, so he's just ready to give up right there and then. But Harry does something that a lot of teachers refuse to do. He helps Neville by telling him exactly how to improve without putting him down in the process. What? I know, it's crazy. Harry then demonstrates how not to flourish too much and disarm the fuck out of a defenseless dummy. But this also kicks off a montage scene of many different DA meetings, and therefore... It doesn't really fit into the rest of this book chapter, aside from those few little similarities. Yeah, we're likely going to end up having to go the rest of the way through the book chapter, then finish talking about the movie section, because it doesn't smoosh together well. No, no, it doesn't. Back to the book version of the first DA meeting. As Harry watches everybody attempt Expelliarmus, he's just like, oh, I was right. This is the place to start because they suck. <laughs> Spoken like a true teacher. That is a lot of shoddy spell work. Some people are actually disarming their opponents, but some of them are just sending them backwards a few paces or causing them to wince or maybe sending their hair standing on end. I mean, it's a start. It's a start, but many of them are remarkably bad at Expelliarmus, which I can't honestly blame any of these students. Their Defense Against the Dark Arts education has been quite spotty. Oh, definitely. At best. Yeah. But as Harry is looking around, Neville manages to disarm him. He casts Expelliarmus on Harry and is thrilled that Harry's wand left his hand. He's like, I did it. I I did did it. And Harry is such a good teacher that he doesn't even bother reminding Neville that there's no way he would have been able to disarm him had he actually been at the ready (laughs) he doesn't bother to tell him that neville's never going to be in a battle where he's facing an opponent that's looking the opposite direction with his wand loosely at his side i mean let the boy have his w he does yeah because instead of saying all of that he just asks him to work with ron and hermione as well so he can go around and talk to everyone else and he moves to the middle of the room to check out the situation and immediately sees something very strange going on with Zacharias. Because every single time he moves to disarm Anthony Goldstein, his own wand flies out of his hand. But Anthony Goldstein is not saying a word. Huh. What's going on there, you think? Well, 
Harry immediately solves this mystery when he glances around and sees Fred and George taking turns casting Expelliarmus on Zacharias from behind. (laughs) And they would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for that meddling potter. Yeah, Harry catches George's eye, who then immediately apologizes. Couldn't help it. So tempting. I mean, to be fair, I can't blame him. Admit it. You think it's hilarious, too. Yeah. And Harry just kind of gives him a look because he's got to be in teacher mode Mm -hmm. and then moves on to check in with other groups and correct people where they're wrong and he reaches the point where he wants to dress them all and yells for them to stop like three times and they can't seem to hear him so he thinks to himself i need a whistle and lo and behold what does he see a whistle and what i wonder is was that whistle always there because the room knew he would need it or does the room also add things once you're already in it and you think you need it that's exactly what i was wondering too because it's one thing for you to be standing outside and, and like thinking about what you need and then you walk in and it's there. It's another to already be in the room. Is the room just that good? Right. Could you imagine being in your own personal room of requirement, say reading a book or something and just being like, damn it, I wish I had Cheez-Its. And then a bowl of them appears right next to you. Bam! Cheez-Its! Fuck me. That'd be awesome. Right? Ugh. Anyway, he sees the whistle, grabs it, blows it, gets everyone quiet. And tells the whole group that they're doing pretty well, but there's definitely room for improvement. Because there always is. And I feel like that is the start of the compliment sandwich that everybody should use in every situation ever. Right. He tells them to try again and keeps walking among them, making suggestions. And as the class is going on, he's watching a general improvement occur. Mm -hmm. People are, in fact, getting better at it. During all of this, he actually avoids Cho and her friend. He just kind of keeps his distance and eventually he's like walked past them multiple times and finally realizes he can't keep ignoring them and should go teach them also. And as he approaches them, Cho gets super nervous and says, Expelliarmius, and then says, Expellimelius, and just completely messes up the spell. Somehow one of those or both of them combined end up just setting Marietta's sleeve on fire. Oh, Cho Chang. And we now know that her name is Marietta because Cho Chang says, oh, I'm so sorry, Marietta. And that's how we learn her name. Well done. Marietta uses her wand to put the fire out on her sleeve and then just glares at Harry like it was his fault. Like he's the one who just set her sleeve on fire. I mean, he was distracting her. Which... I suppose it kind of was Harry's fault because, as Cho said, his presence made her very nervous. Mm -hmm. And Harry's like, no, that was a really good attempt. I think she got a choner boner of her own. I don't know. Is it would it really be a boner? I mean, I guess you can have a lady boner, her lady choner boner. Yeah, sure. Or maybe like a potter puddle. Oh, that's gross. Yeah, but it works. It does. Yeah. Potter puddle. Anyway, Harry's trying to just reassure her and says, oh, no, that was quite good. And she just raises her eyebrows at him because she knows that was not good. And he just says, "Okay, you're right. It was lousy. But I was watching you from over there and I know you can do it just fine. She laughs and Marietta just scowls at them and turns away. So Cho just mutters not to mind her because she's just mad that Cho forced her to come along when she didn't really want to be there because her mom works at the ministry and said she can't do anything that could piss off Pepto Bitch Mall. Also, Marietta is a total fucking cock block. She's like a towel for her Potter puddle. I was just gonna, damn it! (laughs) (laughs) 
Anywho, Harry wants to know what Cho's parents are saying. And she says that they don't want her to get on the wrong side of Pepto Bitch Mall either. But if they think that she's not going to fight you know who after what happened to Cedric, they're just. And then she stops and thinks, oh shit, I just brought up my ex boyfriend with my new potential boyfriend. And this is really awkward. And then they both just stand there like, uh, I don't know what to say now. (laughs) They are saved from the awkwardness by Luna, which I'm not entirely sure is a save from the awkwardness. It's more like a shift of awkwardness. Yeah, it's more like an awkward battle. Right. Oh, well, this one wins. Yeah. <laughs> because Luna, who was clearly listening into the conversation with Cho, which actually, I think Luna is just one of the best fucking wingmen ever. I think she was listening in. I think she heard it get super awkward. And she's like, I can save this for him. And she just says, my father is very supportive of any anti-ministry action because he'd believe anything of fudge. I mean, think about the number of goblins he's had assassinated. Plus, he's been (laughs) using the Department of Mysteries to develop terrible poisons to secretly feed to the people who disagree with him. And don't even get me started on his umgubular slash kilter. The what now? Umgubular slash kilter. How does anybody compete with that awkwardness? This isn't a battle. This is a murder. Like she just slaughtered all awkwardness in the room with her own awkwardness. Yeah. And the reason why I think this is a wingman moment is because the moment she says the words umgubular slash kilter, Cho just gets this confused look on her face and looks over at Harry, who says, don't ask. And then she giggles. Awkward moment passed. Well done, Luna. Right? Well done indeed. And I really like to believe she did that on purpose. Mm hmm. But at this point, Hermione calls out to Harry to tell him to check the time because it's actually 10 after 9 which is when fifth years are supposed to be back in their dorms. And they got under 50 years in this group. Oh. So, whoops. He blows the whistle and lets everyone know that they did pretty well, but they've gone over time, so they got to stop and get out of there. He suggests meeting same time, same place next week, but everybody had such a great time. They were like, sooner. Dean is the one who said sooner, and everybody else is just nodding in agreement. Considering how Umbridge has sucked the fun out of everything involved in the school, like, it's got to be incredibly refreshing to just be in, like, a free social space while also learning. Right. And on top of that, have they ever really gotten to do stuff like this since Lupin? Probably not, because not Moody had him doing unforgivables and shit, so that wasn't fun. There was no madcap music for that one. No, I mean, they learned a shit ton, but not necessarily fun learning. We all know Snape's not really a purveyor of fun. (laughs) But though everybody is excited to meet again and sooner, Angelina reminds them all that Quidditch season! Quidditch season! Quidditch season! (laughs) Did I mention Quidditch season? Because did you know it's Quidditch season? Quidditch season is coming up. We got to practice. Yep. So Harry suggests the following Wednesday, which is technically sooner, since I think at this point it's probably Friday. Technically, yes. And uses the Marauders map to make sure the coast is clear so he can send them out in groups of three or four and make sure they get back to their common rooms and the coast is clear, send the next group type stuff. Mm -hmm. That Marauders map is super fucking handy, too. Yeah, who knew? We just thought it was a fun little thing that he got in the third year. 
Right? I know. It would prove so important. Not that it ever made an appearance again. <laughs> In the movies, anyway. I mean, we don't talk about that, Ellen. Oh, wait. <laughs> but when it gets down to just him, Ron, and Hermione left... Hermione also tells him that the lesson was really good, like I said, and Ron enthusiastically agrees. He's like, did you see me disarm Hermione? I disarmed Hermione. I did a thing. Did you see the thing? I did a thing. Right. And of course, Hermione's just like, only once I disarmed you loads more times, which, I mean, she probably did. And Ron's just like, I disarmed you at least three times. It was at least three times. She's like, are you counting the time that you tripped and knocked the wand out of my hand? Still counts, bitch. (laughs) Right. And they end up bickering the entire walk back to the common room. But Harry doesn't even care. Because even though he's like keeping an eye on the Marauders map to make sure they don't get caught out of bed after hours. All he can really think about is the fact that Cho Chang said he gave her a Potter puddle. That's so disturbing. You said it, not me. I'm just repeating it. (laughs) Moving on. Meanwhile, back in the movie. We quickly get a shot of everyone standing in line to try out their spells before cutting right to diet defense against the dark arts. Now with less calories and less learning. Mmm. Yummy. Umbridge is instructing the class to copy shit down straight from the book, which is just as conducive to actually learning as straight up highlighting entire pages in a book. So, yeah, well done. Yeah. Bitch Maul tells them that there's no need to talk, which spurs on Hermione's attack eyebrows as she mumbles that it's more like there's no need to think. And I love that line. And this is what we were talking about that kind of corresponds with the fact that when Pepto Bitch Maul says it in the book, that there's no need to talk, Harry, Ron, and Hermione all kind of mutter it along with her. Mm-hmm. This one's just a little bit more sassy than that. Which, I mean, I kind of liked. Yeah. But Umbridge... Just kind of gives her a look, but doesn't say anything, shockingly enough. I'm not entirely sure she actually heard her. I mean, she does look directly at her. I think she knew she said something, but didn't know what it was. Yeah. And just didn't want to go there. That's probably more plausible, yeah. But just before you start to think that she's a pod person for not calling it out, she yells for wands to be put away just as we see Neville playing with his under the desk. At least this time it's his actual wand and not his... You know, other wand. (laughs) You know the wand I'm talking about. Oh, I got you. (laughs) We then see a group of incredibly unstealthy students making their way to the room of requirement, being tailed by no less than an even more unstealthy Mr. and Mrs. Norris. (laughs) Like, it's really a toss-up as to which group is more pathetic. Probably Filch, since he couldn't even make it to the door that was five feet away from him before it disappeared. But we've seen him try to do cardio before. Well, that is true. We then join back with Dumbledore's army as Harry is teaching them about stunning spells. Harry walks between the two rows of students as he talks about how important they are if you don't want someone to unalive you. He then asks for the scrawniest little bastard to come forward and give it his best fucking shot. And shoot that shot he does, because he not only knocks Harry on his ass, but this poor little fucker gets a face full of kickback that sends him flying as well. And I'm not gonna point out the fact that the movie once again neglected to fucking put cushions in the room of requirement. (laughs) But in this particular case, they also stuck the 60 pound second year in front of flames while practicing spells that could theoretically backfire if done wrong. The kid was damn near a flame grilled second year. 
which I hear is lovely with a nice rosé, but I digress. They do pair well. Shit. Second year, the other, other, other white meat. (laughs) Oh, for fuck's sake. (laughs) Also, can we just comment on the fact that Nigel is just not the Creepy Brothers? No. First off, there's only one of them. So there's that. But he's clearly the replacement for them. Yeah. I mean, he's adorable. I'm okay. He is, but he's not the Creepies. And none of this actually happens in the book, especially not at this point, but like not even really ever because it's different. No. Partially because there's no Nigel. For one thing. Holy fuck, Ellen, are you telling me the book is different from the movie? Or the movie is different from the book. Mind blown. Let's just keep on going and see just how different they are, shall we? (laughs) We then see Filch camped out in front of the wall that he saw the kids go through as he noms on a sandwich as though he's waiting outside the Nike store to get the latest pair of Yeezys or some shit. And while he does that, Ron is busy letting his mouth write checks his ass can't cash. (laughs) I will give that this is a more fun way to show Ron and Hermione practicing with one another. It is. I will give you that. However, I still have issues. Tell me about those issues. Well, yet again, it's just the movie making Ron look like a fucking dolt. There is that. Yet again, it's just making him look incompetent, like he doesn't know how the fuck to do anything right. And it's kind of irritating. However, funny as fuck. It's definitely one of those things that just you like it, but you don't want to at the same time. Yeah. If it's all I'm going to get, okay. However, knowing that there could have been better still upsets me. Yeah, and they totally did Ron dirty. Yeah. Because he does this whole, like, I'll take it easy on you, babe. No worries, you know. Chucking her on the cheek, like, whatever. And Hermione plays along in the most sarcastic way possible and tells him, Thanks, Ronald. Yeah, because I was super worried. As they both go to opposite ends of the room. Spoiler alert, she wasn't worried. Not at all, no. Neville then walks in between the two, and upon realizing whose fire he's in the line of, promptly hightails it the fuck out of the way. Can I just comment on how fucking awkward that whole thing was, though? Oh, yeah. I was like, what is he doing? He's like, (laughs) oh. Well, because, like, he's looking down as he's walking. Well, it looked like he was stepping between them to be, like, the person that lowers the flag for the race (laughs) to start. I thought it just looked like he was lost his own thoughts and then finally looked up and realized, like, oh, shit, wait a minute. I'm in the middle. Yeah, it was just so weird. It was completely unnecessary. But they put it in there. Yeah, because we don't need stuff that's actually in the book. That's dumb. No. So after that little awkward moment, the twins, being them, decide to put some money down on this matchup, and it's hard to understand why either of them would bet on Ron to win against Hermione. Like, brother or not, that's damn near an unfair fight, especially movie Ron and movie Hermione. Right? In what world was he ever going to win? Not this one. Nope. Nevertheless, Neville raises a fist in solidarity, a gesture that will definitely not age horribly. Nope, not at all. (laughs) Actually, it totally does, because Hermione completely makes Ron her bitch and just sends his ass flying backwards before he can even utter a syllable. And Neville and Fred... George? Fred? Uh, One of the twins. Instantly regrets backing the wrong horse. 
Ron tries to save face by resolutely touting that he took the hit in the name of chivalry. But no one believes him. Meanwhile, Hermione and the gaggle of giggling girls giggle gaggly. Because that's what girls do. That's what they do. Especially right after one of them just completely hones a boy. Straight. Truth. At this point, we rejoin Filch in the hallway, half-eaten sandwich still in hand, sleeping harder than I will after this episode is recorded. He wakes with a start and checks his surroundings for miscreants, having no idea that the reprobates he is waiting for are all eluding capture with the help of the castle itself, which has created a brand new exit around the corner and away from Filch's eagle eyes. Next, we watch as Filch Bob Vila's yet another decree on the wall, before the camera then focuses on the caretaker as he looks back and sneers at the gathered students, who seem none too pleased with this new development. And understandably. Right? What new development, you might ask? Well, we then see why they look like kicked puppies when we get a close-up shot of the decree Filch just nailed that states everyone is gonna have to agree to interrogations about people who are fucking around so that Pepto Bitch Mall can make sure they find out. We then see said Bitch Mall escorting a student into her office while offering him a nice cup of tea. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Considering that she has done nothing suspicious yet, I mean, there's obvi no reason not to trust her. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> so yeah, Bitch Mall pours the tea and closes her office door so that her questions hopefully lead to some tea getting spilled. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Harry and Neville continue to work on his wand waving, but... It appears to be alarming how unharming his disarming charming is. (laughs) Harry then shows Cho how to properly hold a wand, wink wink, while she's levitating Nigel, because just throw the second year up in the air, fine, why not? No cushions, yet again, might I add. And Ron just looks on approvingly like, yeah buddy, get you some. While Cho looks back at Harry coquettishly and loses her concentration because of her potter puddle, ultimately sending Nigel crashing to the floor. Because no cushions. Did I mention no cushions? No fucking cushions. No cushions. Ron winces, but Harry's just too busy eye-fucking Cho to notice. The younger boy stands up and tells no one in particular that he's okay, but Harry contemplates maybe having a spotter around since the room was just too stupid to equip itself with some goddamn cushions. You and those cushions. Would it have been so much to ask? No, but that was not the only thing that was not included. No, not at all. Or, you know, extra stuff added in because none of what just got mentioned happened in the book either. No, not at all. And I don't think it'll be like the book anytime soon. <laughs> because the scene then cuts to what might actually be a cut scene from a Wiley e. Coyote cartoon. Filch approaches his lookout chair and he sees a heart-shaped box that is filled with candies and chocolates that say, I love you. And this stupid motherfucker actually eats them. Are you actually joking right now? I don't count Filch amongst even the stupidest Mensa candidates. But I at the very least would have given him enough credit to not eat rando candies just because his name is on them. Like, did he think Mrs. Norris learned how to call edible fucking arrangements to surprise him for their anniversary? 
Was he thinking that Umbridge was finally ready to admit her true feelings, that she's ready to slum it for a while with a squib? Like, I need the logic here, my guy. Yeah, I am inclined to think that he maybe did think they were from Pepto Bitch Mom. That's the only thing that makes sense. He's clearly been working really hard trying to solve this mystery for her. I mean, and the box was like pink. And at this point, the way that the movie is streamlining things, it very well could be Valentine's Day. True. That is a valid point. But still, the fact that, like, the shit said I love you on him, like, that was... Come on, guy. I mean, dude clearly had a thing for the bitch mall. Oh, yeah. That man has a crusty boner for that bitch. Like, no other. Can we keep moving? (laughs) Yes, please. As I was saying, Filch, one of the most paranoid motherfuckers on the planet, sees absolutely no issue... And starts digging right into these candies as Fred and George watch from around the corner while they try to hide their mischief boners. I do feel like the corner is pretty helpful with that. It is. And the next thing you know, uh uh-oh, turns out that was shockingly not the right call, Filchy. What? Pepto Bitchmall just looks on in disgust as Filch stands in front of her, his face covered in, like, pussy boils. One of which, in the most disgusting moment in this movie, pops and just spurts all over the screen. It does literally splatter the camera. It's so gross. Unnecessary. That was gratuitous. And wrong. And like, look, I'm just going to be real right now. Cut Dobby out all you want, but do not replace him with that. Yeah, exactly. And just when we thought that man couldn't get any more nasty, right? Right. <laughs> Bitch Mall is so disgusted that she straight up snaps her pen in half. Or maybe she snapped it because she wasn't supposed to have a pen because it's the fucking magical world and she's supposed to be using a quill. I mean, you would like that, wouldn't you? <laughs> uh-huh. And now it's time for the rapid fire montage. Are you ready for this, Ellen? Ready. Okay. Ready as I can be. Because here we go. Bam! Dumbledore's army stupefying each other. Bam! More decrees. Bam! Slytherin signing up to be official school snitches. Remember, Draco, even when snitches don't get stitches, they do get caught eventually. Bam! More army shit. Bam! Umbridge holds a rose ceremony in her office. Bam! Motivational poster potter. Which, I gotta say, he kills it. Like, that shit even has me reaching for the stars. It really is a good line. It is, dude. But back to the montage, because bam, Luna's skipping down the hall to the room of requirement, because of course she does. Bam, Filch and the Black Trio watching her from around the corner before following after her. Bam, more beating the shit out of the wooden dummies. Bam, the bastards hauling ass as the door gets smaller. Bam, stupefy. Bam, more running. Bam, Expelliarmus. Bam, Bitch Mall's bitches finally get to the door and bust in on nothing but a supply closet, which they tumble into, coming face to face with Wormtail's blonde side piece. Oh, 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 do you think he did? I mean... That is a long time to stay a rat. That's pretty much what I'm implying right there, yes. Okay, let's move on. And with a final motherfucking bam, Ginny badass motherfucker Weasley lays the smack down on the test dummy, hitting it with a reducto so boss, even the giant squid shivers. And that fucker doesn't even have bones, man, but it still shivers. It jiggles. 
It jiggles. <laughs> it jivers. <laughs> it jivers. And in that moment, everyone makes a mental note to not fuck with your girl. Yeah. And Harry looks so proud. He does. He's just like, holy shit. And meanwhile, her brothers are like, holy shit. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's your rapid fire montage right there. That's basically what happened. You summed it up. Bam. Mm -hmm. And despite this being one of the longer movie sections that we've had in a while, the way everything went down, do we even have actors to talk about? We got William Melling, Nigel, second year, cute little motherfucker. He is very cute. He's adorable. I'm still legit upset that they basically stopped having a Colin Creevy and never introduced a Dennis Creevy and we got a Nigel instead. Oh, I hard agree. I hard agree on that Why one. didn't they make him Dennis Creevy? Because the movies don't want us to be happy, Ellen. We've discussed this. I just don't understand because this kid was legit adorable. I think he would have been a fantastic Dennis Creevy. Right? It's not like he didn't kind of fit the bill as Dennis either. He completely fit the bill. Yeah. But as they montaged the shit out of this scene, it doesn't give a lot done by anyone. It all is just like little slivers and you can't talk about that much of it. So let's just move on to our part of pondering, which is what would be in your personal room of requirement? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. If you want it in next week's episode, get it to us by Wednesday before. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. If you don't make the deadline to get it in the episode, don't forget you can also stitch your response on TikTok or post it on any social media. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our sorting hat story, which is from Anna Schwerian. She writes, I am a Gryffindor, and I got into the books when my fifth grade teacher read The Sorcerer's Stone to our class in 1998. My wand is nine and three quarters inches, Willow Wood with a Dragon Heartstring Core. I'm not great at casting happy thoughts when Dementors come, which has been a problem as they seem to surround my home frequently. When able to cast, my Patronus is in the form of a dolphin, which fits as I love the water. I love that. That's fun. Thank you so much for sharing your sorting hat story with us, Anna. Yes, thank you, and good luck with those Dementors, honey. Definitely. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, what is the charm that Hermione put on the fake galleons for the DA members? The first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag don't spend it will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up 
in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash foxsakepod. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated, even if it's just telling your Harry Potter friends about us. And if you don't have any Harry Potter friends, there's another reason to join our Patreon, because you will meet some of the best Harry Potter people ever. I mean, just the best people ever, really. There's that too. Period. End of sentence. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 19, The Lion and the Serpent, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. And in the meantime... Keep calm and hairy on! Oh, for fuck's sake.